and welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jess Park Humphreys, joined as always by Abdullah Abdullah. Whether you are listening to us on the Blue Royalty feed or the London is Blue feed, thank you for tuning in. We are able to exist thanks to you, an amazing community of Chelsea supporters, and we can't thank you enough for your support. If you are enjoying the podcast and you are listening from the London is Blue feed, please do subscribe to Blue Royalty via Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and feel free whilst you're there to leave a five-star review to help other listeners find the show. Today, we are going to be doing a little bit of a mailbag and a little bit of a preview on the West Ham game. Chelsea heading to Kings Meadow for the first time this season. If you missed out on our review of the Man City game, you can go back and listen to that to get you well up to date on everything that has been going with Chelsea women's. Um, Spoiler alert, been a little bit chaotic, not entirely Chelsea's fault. I think with the dust settling now, we probably have a bit of a different perspective on the match. We obviously sort of did that review straight after the game had finished. Um, I watched it back the next day and it certainly helped me to take a look at it with a bit of a cooler head. I think that's going to help with some of the questions we are answering today. Obviously, a lot of you guys still thinking about that game too. And I don't blame you. I think that game will probably go down in WSL history. But Abdullah, first of all, we have to say happy birthday, sir. Did you have a good day? Thank you very much. Yeah, not too bad. Kind of chill. Had some food. Okay, you know, left early from work. People at work got me a cake. So yeah, cake is always cake is always good. And it was AKB's birthday as well. So we we shared the same birthday. You share the same birthday. That's cute. I love yeah. that. We need to mock up some kind of. Abdullah and AKB joint birthday thing. I share my birthday with Kristen Press. So I have in the past sort of like imposed my face onto, I believe the (laughs) photo I used was her and Tobin Heath holding up the World Cup so that I was holding up the World Cup with Kristen Press on our shared birthday, which is a totally normal thing to do now that I have said it out loud. Um, (laughs) Let's get a little bit of a vibe check on, on where we're at because I feel like we've had... A real roller coaster start to the season, not just from a Chelsea perspective, but obviously, you know, there's been other big games in the league. We've sort of had all this drama with Arsenal going down. There's Champions League qualifying going on. It really feels like we have started like at a pace. And we've been, I, I just feel like we've been going sort of from pod to pod to pod, and there's been non stop stuff. And this has been kind of like the first time that I've been like, okay. We're here, we're in the season, we've played two games. Where's your head at, sort of, um, where the team is, what your expectations are, how's it looking so far? I don't know where to exactly place my my thoughts right now, but I'm, like, quietly hopeful now, more so, you know, in, in, in general, because obviously we played Spurs and we played City, we we grew into the game against Spurs a lot more and eventually I thought it was a good 2-1 win at the end of the day, especially considering the the first day WSL game day with nerves. But when you look at the second game against City and how, yes, you put the caveat of it's harder to play against teams who are, you know, at 10 or 9, nine players, but even at 11, I thought we started slow again uh, and I thought City really grew into that game and and... and Obviously, they punished us with the first goal, but I genuinely think that if City had 11 players on the pitch for longer in the game, I do think they probably would have looked like they were scoring that second goal as that first, the way the first half was going, they were controlling it. So I feel like 
we're in it. We've got a good solid foundation. I'm happy with the players that have come in and, 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 and obviously some have done slightly better than the others, but I don't feel like that's going to be too much of a problem for the rest. Uh, and players, some players have stepped up when other players haven't, but I'm like, it's been a quiet ish start in, in this, in terms of performances. Uh, and, and I do think this squad will need a little bit of time to settle going into the rest of the season to really kick into gear. But um, yeah, I think quietly hopeful right now. But uh, if anything of these two games to go by, I think there's a little bit of work to be done. Yeah, I, I definitely think I agree. Um, I think it's it's always tough at the start of the season because you want your team to come out the blocks. We know Chelsea have a habit of not doing that, but I think it's been interesting sort of taking in where other teams are at. And I feel like Arsenal obviously had a poor start. I have recently, over the past couple of days, watched all of Barcelona's games this season, and I think they've had a really slow start. Watching Wolfsburg yesterday play Paris FC, I thought they looked rubbish. Um, United have had a mixed start. To be honest, City are probably one of the teams who, who've looked the best. And that kind of makes sense, right, when you think, well, they literally only brought one player in. She sort of slotted into the, the starting lineup in Jill Rod, and they're basically continuing where they left off. Um, I think it will be really good, or I'm hoping it's going to be really good to have the team back at Kings Meadow sort of for these two matches that we've got before the international break. You know, I know all the chat about, you know, Stamford Bridge and the players say they really look forward to that and I get that but I still think for me personally there's still a sense that you know Kings Meadow is is home and that's something that means more and that's something that like brings this you know extra level of of confidence extra level of um enthusiasm from just everyone there I think it's a better atmosphere still so I think that's going to be a really big boost and I'm I'm hoping we're just sort of going to see over these next couple of games the team start to take to take shape a little bit more you know even when we're Thinking about some of the new players who've come in, we obviously saw Shukunuskin in the Spurs game and not in the City game. Ashley Lawrence had a bit of a baptism of fire, I think, in the City game as her first start, but she looked great when she came on against um, Spurs. We've seen Mia Fischel have some um, good some have some good moments, and actually watching back the City game, I like really enjoyed more her play more than I thought I had when I watched it first time, and I, I thought actually it was a real. Shame she went off, and I wonder if we'd have had a much um, more solid penalty box threat if she'd been able to stay on, given, you know, Kerr's fitness. So I think there are lots of, like, interesting things to look forward to. Um, and I generally feel like the team's in, like, quite a good position, especially when we're looking at players like Cuthbert, Kirby Kerr coming back to full fitness. So just sort of hope that these next two weeks allows everyone to really get into the rhythm and really feel like we're in the rhythm of the season. We've got some of your questions to go through. Let's first of all just take a quick ad break and then we will come back to them. So, Abdullah, I am going to start at the back of the team and this question from Clayton, appropriately named at goalie59. Um, Clayton sort of mentioned this uh, after the City game and we didn't quite get round to it, I think, because we were sort of all taken in by what happened at the end of the game. We didn't really talk about the start of the game, which is funny because I then went and did counterpressed and we talked about bloody goalkeepers on counterpressed for ages. Um, so this is a question about goalkeepers. Um, Clayton was asking, how long do you think Emma Hayes will keep picking Musevich when she is making a mistake a game 
or am I being harsh? Clayton, obviously referring to in the Spurs game where she sort of tried to save the ball with her feet, having palmed it in front of her and that allowed Thomas to score and then failing to make the save in the City game. Um, I'm going to take Kate Longhurst's perspective on uh, on the two Musevich errors in inverted commas and say the first one I think is an error. The second one's like something you should save. It's not quite the same as an error, if that makes sense. But Abdullah, I guess in this, when we're thinking about this topic, what's interesting to to reflect on is there's two things going on here, right? There's like, why do we think Emma Hayes is starting Zatira Musevic? And should she be starting Zatira Musevic? So I guess I'd be interested to know your thoughts on sort of both of those questions. Okay. Um, I think I think I partially referred to this in the in, in the city episode, but I think she's Emma Hayes is starting Zatira Musevic. I think partially because I think she had a she had a she, she had a really good World Cup. And I think after the extension and, and kind of that whole show, you know show of faith in terms of her ability and quality, and I think you, you know, and I think it's it's one of those where Emma is literally trying to see who is it that she can trust and 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 look to be the long term number one at Chelsea, um, which I think by starting off with Zichir Musevic, it's it's just I think giving her a fair run of games and after such a good World Cup and probably coming off the best form of her life. I think it just felt like the best time for her to pick Musevic and go, okay, you're going to start the season as the number one, let's say for, you know, four, five, six games. Let's see how you perform. And regardless of how you do, I will keep you for six games and we'll assess your performances after that. And I think from there, we'll be able to move forward. So I think, I think for me, that's the reason. It's just to, it's just to give her that, that confidence and that run of games and say, you are the number one at Chelsea right now and it's up to an AKB and a Hannah Hampton to, to, to displace you from your position and you will start then and we will see how it goes. Um, obviously, the, otherwise, you know, if, if Chelsea didn't have faith in her and Emma Hayes didn't have faith in her, they would never have, um, they would never have had the extension going on and they would have never... Uh, they've never given her that extra couple of years. They would have just let her run out of contract and or, or sold her in the summer and said, "All right, thank you very much. We will stick with Hannah, Nikki, and uh, and AKB." Right? I mean, you could you could you could have seen a universe where AKB is the number one, Nikki Everard and Hannah Hampton are fighting for that number two spot, and because neither of the, I mean, Hannah then naturally becomes the number two with Nikki Everard fighting for it, and then you could kind of done that swap, but. Having another goalkeeper in there in Zachira just I think is for me was to show that okay, you're the number one. Let's see your quality. Can you fill in the AKB boots for the next say two, three years until uh Hannah is is probably ready? And maybe this is also an indication. Again, I don't know, but this is probably maybe an indication that AKB's time at Chelsea is coming to a close, whether it's um whether it's uh uh, moving on or retirement or something because you know obviously she had the illness last year that's taken a toll on her body maybe she feels like this is the last season in terms of that transition of helping Zachira settle in as the number one and maybe that's the reason why Zachira is starting as number one it's a very long-winded answer to your first question but you know th- these are my thoughts now will she continue to be picking her it's a very good question I think if we see another quote-unquote inverted commas high-profile error mistake should be saving that etc etc i wouldn't be surprised if in that fourth game in the game against brighton 
um, that AKB comes back into the side because Chelsea can't afford to lose too many more points. Okay, fine. At the end of the day, the Spurs one was non-consequential. Like, they won the game three points in the bag. They were relatively comfortable. But the one against City, if she saves that, I mean, if if if, if everything remains the same, she essentially had nothing else to do for the rest of the game. So there's a possible possibility that Chelsea could have had three points instead of one. Again, hindsight's a great thing. Game game pans out differently. But if against West Ham, Chelsea start off slow, they need their goalkeeper to step up when these chances are getting peppered towards her. And uh, you know, if she lets in an early goal against West Ham, then pressure's on, Chelsea have to come back. And if they don't win the game, question marks over Zichir Musovic. So while I while I say that maybe Emma Hayes is going to give her four, five, six games, but I think another big error, I think AKB comes back in just for that. Maybe a little bit more consistency and re- reliability for me. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. Like, my personal preference would be to start AKB. I've got no idea where this one's going to end up, but, like, I do keep reflecting on the fact that Musovic sort of started a handful of games uh, at the start of January last year, and... For me, it kind of feels like there's some behind-the-scenes elements, whether it's about feeling like AKB needs extra motivation, whether it's about trying to offer... My my main view is that Emma Hayes isn't running a charity at Chelsea, so she's starting Musevich for a reason. My theory around that has always been that she thinks Musevich is better than the feet, and she thinks that that's a bigger upside. Um... I don't think that's true. I don't think it's a big enough upside compared to AKB's shot stopping. But we'll see. I also feel like Hayes goes through these periods where she really likes players and then suddenly she doesn't like them anymore. And that was kind of what we saw happen in January. Um, it will be interesting to see, obviously, who starts against West Ham and Bryson in, in these two games. Um, yeah, I I genuinely don't know. It personally wouldn't be my preference. I can suggest reasons for why it happens but ultimately for all of those reasons you just come back to the same thing of like well what if you've got a goalkeeper who's making mistakes and there's a goalkeeper on your bench you think doesn't make mistakes or makes less mistakes then surely you play that goalkeeper um but yeah it'll be obviously interesting to see um how that gets rotated um next question comes from lewis at cfc lzw Thoughts on Lauren James's poor body language slash work rate against City? Seems she has games like that every now and again. Um, I think this is an interesting question because I think there are perceptions around LJ and body language and attitude, which I don't always think are fair in terms of, I think she's a player who looks quite disinterested a lot of the time, but I don't think that means she is disinterested. I think she's got resting disinterested face. Um, And I think it's amazing how some Chelsea players can get really pissed off during games, but don't really get like called out on it. Like, for example, I saw someone saying like, oh, LJ must have had a really bad game against City because Frank Kirby was getting really pissed off with her. Frank Kirby, almost every game I watch Frank Kirby play and she like starts moaning at someone else who's on her team. But like no one's like going around talking about Frank Kirby's body language. So I want to asterisk talking about this, but I think it is fair to say that, you know, LJ does still have a tendency to look frustrated at points during games. Um, I think against Manchester City, there were plenty of Chelsea players you could 
sort of angle that at. But I think LJ is particularly noticeable because when she gets frustrated, she tends to sort of try and do it all herself. Um, and often then it doesn't necessarily go well. But, you know, equally against City, when she tried to do it herself, she also hit the bar at one point. So I don't know how, I guess maybe one thing to ask bouncing off this is, is what do you make of sort of LJ's work rate? Do you think this is a fair charge to sort of level at her, stress she's not working? And I guess similar to that is, what's the balance between, you know, having a player who is going to be expected to work within a system. You know, I think especially within Hayes' system, and I do think we've seen that from LJ. I think her her defensive work has gone up in her time at Chelsea, even if not consistently so. And But then sort of balancing that with a player who's like so obviously supremely talented, does have that ability to just change a game like that. And, you know, we were obviously talking in the last episode about freedom. Like, where do you find that balance between sort of demanding a player does everything you want of them, but also saying, OK, but I want you to be ready to pick up the ball in that area of the pitch and just go? I think there is a balance that you can strike. First of all, on, on the whole work rate thing, I, I I don't think it's fair personally as well. I agree with you. I think she's the... You know, in a weird way, she's the kind of player that can be a little bit. I think, I think just the way she is as a player, and I think you see this with most ultra creative luxury players, if I can call it that, in, in inverted commas, that they're so good, they're so talented that they almost look lazy, but they're actually really, really, really good, and they're actually doing really well when they need to. And so I feel like Lauren James falls into that category. And actually, just considering the theme of the last day or so. She's very much our Eden Hazard right now. And I think in the in the sense of she she's like kind of hangs around. And I agree with you. I think her work rate has really impressed from the first season to, to, to now. I think she does a lot more off the ball. She does defend a lot more. Can be a little bit lax at times in terms of the tackles and stuff. But she gets back there. She does track back and do all that stuff. Um, but like Eden Hazard, She's able to just kind of pick up the ball wherever, go on a mazy run out of nowhere, accelerate pass and score a wonder goal. And and I think when you've got a player like that, you kind of have to let some of the the quote unquote body like poor body language go because if a player can produce for you in that sense, the rest of the thing shouldn't matter. And I think the way you talk about freedom, I think when you have a player like this she kind of needs to have that freedom to be able to really express herself and kind of be anywhere on the pitch that she needs to be because her ball-carrying ability is so good. The ball just sticks to her feet like Hazard did. And in in that sense, you kind of let her pick her up, pick it up at right back. You let her pick her up at the number eight position, the number six position, that left wing, wherever it is, you let her pick her up. She'll probably be able to drive past like four or five players and then get it to the edge of, edge of the box and either shoot or have that interchange of play. So, yeah, it's it's like, but I also feel like she plays, when she plays quote-unquote badly and has that poor body language and work rate, it's because the rest of the team isn't doing well either. But then suddenly when she's having the best game of her life, the, other, the rest of the team's also playing pretty decently well. So I, I wouldn't, I, I just think that it's when the other team, when the rest of the team who is probably instructed in the way it's set up is to, is to kind of, service Lauren James in a way without actually giving her the ball to kind of make up maybe for some of the defensive shortcomings that she might have because it's made up and the team plays well she shines a lot brighter and then she looks amazing aka Spurs in the first half 60 minutes she looked really really good um 
And then when you have a game like City where everyone's suffering, her traits get highlighted even more, which in 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 the initial uh, impression and the initial reaction, people will say, no, it's poor work rate, it's poor body language. Um, but then when you take a step back and you see it, you go, well, if her role is to do X and be free and be this creative player, you need the players around to perform. May, there is an argument to be made that maybe she can turn into a player that can start dragging Chelsea through when really, you know, when when you need it sometimes. Um, but she's young. That will come with age and experience and time. But for her age and the way she's doing, I, I really feel like it's it's when the team's doing well, she will shine to be really good. But when the team's not doing well and not not really making up for the defensive work rate and maybe some of the service that goes to her, She's just going to look worse than she actually is when really she's just kind of this playing at the similarly high standard in practically most games for most of the time. Yeah, I think for me, especially in the City game, it kind of says a lot about how LJ's developed over the past six months or so. That Obviously, the last time we were there, she was sort of yanked off after 36 minutes, whereas despite having been on a yellow card since... 10 minutes in she she played the rest of the game and I think that says a lot about you know her importance to the team and Hayes's view on what she contributes to the team I definitely think it feels like and I think I've said this already but like I feel like the World Cup's had like a really big impact on her both positive and negative and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how she develops further within this side this season um but like personally for me I think I think she could do more but I think it's a trade-off um and yeah it's like obviously fitting that you mentioned Hazard who's someone that LJ says is her favorite player and I think you can really see that in the way she plays obviously he announced his retirement this week and you know Hazard's like my favorite player of all time and he's someone who famously didn't like doing anything he didn't want to do um I'm not saying that's like the perfect model for a professional but I think that also tells you a lot about what someone like that can offer your team um that you don't just have to have someone who runs around does all the defensive work because sometimes that takes away from from what they can do next Steph at Steph underscore is blue says is there a Nuskun issue? Surprise of the energy, she didn't start instead of Sophie against City, or was it just experience in view of how difficult that game always is? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like, again, we're too early in the season with a player to, to talk about issues or anything like that, but I guess, Abdullah, this, this definitely just felt like one of those ones where we'd seen the ball turn over a couple of times against Spurs. We saw her look nervy, I think, in that game at Stamford Bridge. I thought she had some good moments, but I think you could tell it was like a, a big thing for her, and it just felt like, to me at least, it felt like a no-brainer to maybe go with that experience rather than throw in a 21-year-old or however old she is into that sort of deep end. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I think, I think, think really Aaron was picked and, or, and Sophie were picked for their experience in a big game like this. And I think, in hindsight, you look at the way the game panned out and you need their experience in that midfield. I don't know how Shikaniskin would have um coped in that sort of situation where it's nine people city were really attacking and every counter attack looked like they were going to score a goal no matter how many players they had on the pitch and yeah i don't think it's i don't think it was a issue it was just more so that it was um it was a tactical uh, it was a tactical move and and just getting in someone like um like aaron in that side i think was just more from an experience perspective than anything else 
yeah, no, I, I think, I think, I think you needed, um, you just needed someone in that game, and I think it'll take a little bit of time for Shuken to to get really used to playing in the WSL. I think not that she's had her debut, especially at Stanford Bridge. I think that those nerves should get a lot easier to to handle going into the next, um, into the next game. I wouldn't be surprised because Aaron did look a little bit off because of the injury that she comes back in for the West Ham game, especially considering it's uh, it's at home. So yeah, I I think I think Nuskin will like every other new signing will probably be bedded in slowly but surely because you could just see the effect of Ashley Lawrence not having the best game uh, and what that can do from a, such an experienced player. So I you know what what's going to happen for someone like Nuskin who's who's much much younger. Yeah, um, I definitely think it like makes sense that they they didn't risk her, and I agree. I think she's someone we'll see sort of on and off. Um, as we go on, I wonder if she only started against Spurs. Like, if Erin is fit, does Nuskin play against Spurs? I mean, you could argue that like Loipotz was available to play, but I think maybe we the fact that she started against Spurs has sort of put us in a position where we're like, we're going to see Nuskin all the time. And I don't know how how true that is. Obviously, normally, unless you're like super experienced and someone that Hayes feels like we super need, players take their time to sort of bed into the squad. Um, and so I don't know whether that whether she actually feels like Nuskun is totally ready and that's why she started against Spurs or if it was a case of like she felt like she was the best sort of Aaron Cuthbert substitute. But I do, I do kind of think an Ingle Loipops midfield should have been able to deal with Spurs. But anyway, we'll, we'll see, I guess, again, one to keep an eye on. But I think she's still a really exciting player and someone who hopefully these next two games will see her get some minutes. Um, speaking of Sophie Ingle, Cossiso at Cossi Fab says, do you think Ingle is a major reason why we can't pr- progress the ball from the defensive third? She never shows for the ball, and when she gets the ball, she treats it like a hot potato, never turns on it, and always plays the safe pass. I mean, she's one of those players, you get what's written on the tin, right? I mean, that's her game. The game is defensive screener, pick up the ball, and play the short, simple, safe passes in a sense. Like, that's what you need in a midfield pivot sometimes. is not someone who can play these elaborate, I mean, you look at someone like Jorginho, who we've had on the men's side for years and years and years and years. People complained about it. But then the minute he left, you know, that small period in between the games he wasn't there, you suddenly realize, oh, wait, the guy who plays the short, simple passes is actually kind of important to connecting this team together, right? And I feel like with Ingle in there, the, the idea is never to is never to to keep the ball longer than it needs to be. It's just keep it ticking, keep it recycling. You look at the best defensive midfielders in the world, their only job is to keep the ball ticking over. You look at like a Demaris at Lyon, you look at a Patri or a Kira Walsh for England. Yes, I know Kira has a bit more of an expansive passing range, but that's because of the role she's been asked to play. But generally, if you look at Kira at Barcelona, she's just playing passes to Patri and Aitana in front of her. That's, that's the, her, her job. Ingrid Engren does the same thing. You, Leupold, when she was at Bayern, did the same thing. So the, the number six in that sense, especially when you're playing in a double pivot, is just service and facilitate the three or two midfielders in front of me. And that's my job done. And just do defensive screening when the, when the thing is that. Because you ask any coach, look at ask any defensive line, who is the most important player for you? And they always will call out the double, the, the pivot, the, the single six, or that, that main number six to go and say, that is the connector between defense and attack, and that is your transition starter, and that's your transition stopper. So I really I don't think we can really blame Ingle for any of this stuff because Aaron's the one that plays the more expensive passes. And we talked about it in the last episode. 
Chelsea may not have an elaborate pass in midfield in general because maybe they're using a bit more ball progressing and ball carrying as their way of taking the the, the team forward. And maybe that's why Ingles passing, quote-unquote, is being highlighted more in terms of she's not progressing the ball. But that's not her role. Her role is to get the ball, give it to an Aaron Cuthbert, give it to a, a, whoever's playing at the number 10 position and get the ball out of defense and make sure that the Chelsea transition from one third to the next as quickly as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think I totally agree with you. I think to say, you know, you see it is what you get is is pretty much the best way of, of summing it up. I do think she is like still a very good like passer of the ball and I just think she's someone who's very safety first. Um, so I think you obviously see in games whereby she's got more time. I think she plays better passes. And I do think that's also a reality of not being as physically good as she once was. That obviously, you know, in those more intense games, you're being pressed more. You don't necessarily have the strength or fitness to hold on to the ball and, and maybe do that more expansive stuff that you do against a lesser team. I mean, I will say fair play to her. Like, I know midfield, we joke about it, and midfield's been, like, a question at Chelsea for a while now, but she she does keep going. And, like, she does occasionally just put in performances where you're like, wow, yeah, she's still got it. And you can see why Hayes wants to keep her around and, you know, the influence she has on the team. Um, I do think sort of with Nuskin, Loipoltz, Cuthbert, we've obviously seen Chankovic come and play a more deeper role this year, you would assume that maybe Ingle like becomes less important as the season goes on, but genuinely, who knows? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that that safety first option if you've then got someone alongside her who offers something a bit different. And I think the problem against City was also that, you know, Erin Cuthbert was coming back from to full fitness and I think we all knew that she wasn't playing at her best. Although I did notice that she put up the most key passes of any Chelsea player in the game. So, um she was contributing something, that's for sure. But yeah, I I don't think Ingle is like the main reason, mainly because there are so many other options that um, there are different things to try. I feel like she's in the team for, for a different reason. Um, but yeah, I think you'd like to be in a position where by the end of the season, we weren't still seeing her. Bonzo Tim at Cam's Hockey Fan says, controversial perhaps, but is Emma Hayes a good manager when Chelsea are losing? Seem to throw on, throw is in inverted commas, various players versus Arsenal in the Conti Cup last year, then again versus City. I don't know if that refers to City this year or last year, but maybe that sums up the point. And hope for the best. I will go first on this one, just because, yeah, this is something I find interesting. I've always felt like Hayes is a great manager, uh, just full stop, but she's a particularly good manager when she ha- she has a really good plan. And if the plan goes a bit awry or it doesn't go out how she expected it to, those in-game changes aren't always at the same level as the plan. I don't don't think that means they're always bad, but I do think, for example, I, that the Arsenal-Conti Cup and City last year were both games where I just felt like it was really unnecessary and it really disrupted our rhythm. And I think we've also seen this before, in Champions League games whereby in two-legged Champions League games where we've looked a lot better in the second leg than in the first leg um that wasn't really true for Lyon because we look worse but I think the injury issues uh you know made that a bit more understandable I think it was true for Barcelona away although I did think our home game plan made sense 
um, and almost came off. But two years ago, when we reached Champions League final, it was definitely true. We were much better against Wolfsburg in the second leg and much better against Bayern Munich in the second leg. Um, and in those first legs, we were maybe lucky to even be in a position where we could turn it around. So I feel like it's something that maybe stands out more because when Hayes gets a game plan right, Chelsea can look really good. So then sometimes when you get she gets a game plan wrong, it becomes like quite catastrophic quite quickly because I think the players are often used to sort of being in a situation whereby they know exactly what they're doing and maybe if it doesn't go that way, it feels like everyone just gets a bit nervous all of a sudden. And obviously that's just a balance that every manager has to find out between how much instruction do you give your team and how much are you getting them to like find solutions on the pitch. It's a big sort of tactical question about, you know, where you land with that. Obviously, we see coaches like Conte who just coach absolutely everything. And then you've got at the other end, maybe someone like Frank Lampard who coaches absolutely nothing. Um, and I kind of think Emma Hayes is somewhere in the middle, maybe slightly more towards the Conte end. Um, but there, there, there are things that, that make it harder, you know, to there are advantages and disadvantages with both approaches. What do you think about the way Hayes changes games if if things aren't going Chelsea's way? Yeah, and then you have Pep Guardiola who does both and actively does does both every every single time. No, I I agree with you on that assessment. I I like that comparison. I think you're right. I think it's a little bit more Conte than it is Frank. I do think that she does most of her work on the training ground, all the tactical work and everything. I feel like sometimes she either makes the changes, tactical changes, either too quickly, if you know what I mean, by like, 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 you know, we've seen games where she throws on like a double substitute or a very, or, or a single substitute in like 20, 25, 30 minutes, which I'm not saying happens every single time, but when it goes horrifically bad, it's like that, that quick sort of like, oh, we just need to make a change. And then there are times where the changes are too late. And then you maybe just see more of a personnel swap rather than a system change. And for me, that's where I feel like, I, I think you're right. I think Barca and Lyon were a little bit different because I think she got the tactics right from the start. So when you did switch things out, it looked a lot better. It looked a lot because it was cohesive in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be, I, I mean, Amethyst is a great manager and I'm pretty sure she, she, can, she can think on the fly. But at least in the last season or so, I haven't been able to see her changing games as obviously as probably maybe maybe they have maybe the change that she has made in personnel and she's given them specific instructions that okay like for like change but i want you to start doing you know these these late runs into the half space i want you to start attacking this player that player and maybe we don't see it as obviously from 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 a, from from tv uh, and and they have had a major effect on games where we've turned it around or something but I think when you look at a lot of managers and look at a lot of teams out there, you, you do sometimes see like obvious changes that then um, rather than obvious changes, obvious effects on games that change games for them and, and they start winning or turning it around. And I don't I don't know. I don't want to say that she just throws them on because no manager just throws on players unless you're in like the 90th, 90th minute and you need a goal and Millie Bright goes as a striker. But I can I can see where it's coming from that maybe it looks like she just makes three to four substitutions and they all just look like, well, you just kind of put in this player for this player, this player for this player. 
uh, and maybe it's a little bit harder to spot what that changes and maybe the 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 effects of those changes aren't as obvious so um i think she's a great manager when it comes to two-legged games because she sees what she did in the first one and what happened and makes those changes accordingly for the second one and in the last couple of seasons we've seen that most second legs we do really well like we're more confident in second like you look at barcelona yes we lost one nil in the semi-final but that second leg performance was was arguably better at the at the camp new and and she figured it out and obviously we lost but she figured it out um so i guess that's what it is so maybe her in-game management in terms of those on the fly changes a la pep guardiola isn't there as much uh and isn't as obvious but in general i think she lays more towards the training ground fixing everything there and then coming in with a set game plan and maybe she's overly confident or like very sorry, rather very confident in plan a that she doesn't want to change it she like almost trusts the process during the game type of manager yeah and i think something you you just said there like made me think as well i wonder how much sometimes if she gets caught in two minds and that's why then we see these quick changes i mean definitely again when you make changes is in my mind it's a bit of a damned if you do damned if you don't i think if you make early changes and they don't pay off you look silly for not sticking with it. But if you don't make changes, everyone goes, well, we could see it wasn't working for ages. Um, and I definitely think the assessment of that is really interesting because I feel like, for example, in the Conti Cup, that was maybe a better example of there were areas we were really struggling. For example, you know, like Kim Little was doing a really, really good job on Lauren James. Um, Steph Catley was killing us down the left hand side whereas in the City game last season I felt like we kind of looked okay um, especially given we played a quarterfinal against Lyon um, a couple of days before but then City just sort of like killed us with two really good shots from the edge of the area um, and then I felt like the changes like didn't do enough to, to change what was happening in the game um, so I think it's a tough thing to do, do as a manager um and I, I, w- I do understand where this is coming from. It's definitely something I've thought about as well. Um, I also feel like Hayes just sort of goes through changes uh, like her- herself with these things. And I think sometimes she tries to do it to send a message to the players. And I feel like, again, that's something that's really interesting thing to think about, even from a theoretical perspective, whereby we often want to think that like players will be perfectly prepared and be on top of the game, but players are humans. And, you know, this was a big thing that I felt watching back the city game was that there were some tactical things that I think we could have done differently in the city game. Um, Like I, I feel like we should have had a more solid right wing presence. For example, that's something that we could have done tactically and with personnel, but at the same time, you can't help it if Ashley Lawrence, like can't keep hold of the ball and can't put an accurate cross in. Like there's nothing Emma Hayes can do about that other than take her off, which eventually she does. And Eve Perisic comes on and it makes a, a big difference. So I think sometimes there's a sense of like making changes to try and get players heads back into the game and that's just like quite an interesting psychological thing to think about um let's finish off with a last question from megan at pgh underscore megan underscore 10 what do you think is the strongest starting 11 and which do you think the most trusted 11 is if they're different oh god okay what a question (laughs) um who do you think is the most strongest 11 and who's the most trusted 11? Okay, I think the strongest 11 and the I think there is an overlap and I, I possibly think there's maybe 
it's tough. I, I think there might be a couple of positions where you go and say uh, strongest versus trusted. So I think strongest 11, for example, let's say the double pivot in midfield, I think you would want to play eventually Shukanuskin and Aaron Cuthbert. But I think the most trusted 11 is Sophie Ingle and Aaron Cuthbert because of the experience and safety, for example. You go up front, the strongest 11 might be Guro, Sam, and Fran. And, but only because of the injury issues, you may, you may not play Fran and, and, and that becomes then your more trusted one because of the injury and, the, and coming back into it, you know, with that caveat in there. You know, whether you play Yelena, whether you play Lauren, you know, that comes, that comes down, down to it. And then I think fullbacks, again, I think Neve and let's say Eve Perisay just on form right now, probably your strongest two wing fullbacks at the current moment, but your most trusted one, you're probably going to say even and Ashley as your two, as your fullbacks. So, and then maybe AKB slots in as your trusted number, you know, goalkeeper versus Zichira, who maybe for now, you could put as part of your your strongest team, but again, I would put AKB there. So, I think there's a key positions where you could swap out a few of these players and go, okay, these are your strongest players versus your most trusted players um, that go. Then I think it's it'll be telling in the next couple of weeks what the team lineups are as soon as these some of these players start coming back. I think you leave out Kat Makaria because we have no clue what's going to happen over there, how she's going to look, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think once Fran gets a bit more game time. Shuka gets used to the to, to, to Chelsea and, and, and Kings Meadow and all that. And same with Ashley Lawrence and, and Yves Perisay gets back in the team. I think then we'll start seeing the strongest versus most trusted eleven as we as we move uh as we move forward, right? I mean you can even say the same thing, right? Sam Kerr's still coming back off that injury, didn't look too good against City when she had to come on. Um so does me official make your strongest 11 right now? I mean, are we talking about right now as of this moment, you know, so Mia versus Sam becomes the strongest versus trusted. So I think, I think we have to look at it, uh, look at it that way. I don't, I don't know if you think any different. Yeah. So I was asked on counter press recently, a similar sort of question. I was asked, you know, if the champions league started final was tomorrow and everyone was fit, who would you play? Which I feel like is a good approximation of strongest starting 11. And my answer was AKB, um, Lawrence, Bright, Carter, Perisette, Cuthbert, Loipoltz, Fleming. No, sorry. Cuthbert, Loipoltz, Macario, Kirby on the right, Wrighton on the left and Sam Kerr up top. So I left out Lauren James, which was like probably the hardest player I had to leave out. Um, but ultimately, I fit, still feel like a fully fit Fran Kirby is more impactful than LJ is right now. I think in terms of trusted 11s, you probably put Mielder in there, maybe for over Lawrence at this point in time. Um, who knows whether AKB is more trusted than Musevich? I personally trust AKB more than Musevich, so yeah. I'm, I'm counting her there. Um, I think Jesse Fleming gets in as being more trusted than whoever i think she's the most trusted 10 basically um but otherwise i think that's pretty much the same yeah maybe ingle goes into the midfield as well um but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about and obviously it's something that we'll see as the the season goes on i'm sure emma hayes will tell you their squad not an 11 so you know you can think of it that way uh and then a fun question from megan as well who in the squad do you think is the worst food takes and why is it sam or erin i have to agree probably erin because scottish food is wild just generally. Definitely the wildest food in the UK. 
Yeah, I think I'll I'll agree to that. I mean, I don't know what your take on fried Mars bars are, but I just don't find that appealing whatsoever. Never actually had one, but I think it sounds quite yummy, to be fair. I, I don't know. I mean, I probably have to try one to see how it is, but just like the idea of it plus that is, yeah, I think Aaron, yeah, Aaron probably be the one. Um, I used to work in theatre, which meant I used to go to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, for the full month, and I did that several years in a row, and... At it, there's a bakery in Edinburgh, and I'm sure you can get these elsewhere in the world, but I just always associate with Edinburgh, where you can get a macaroni cheese pie, and it is delicious. So that sounds nice. That sounds nice. To I recommend me. that one. I recommend that one. Um, yeah, I think Sam or Aaron is is probably a good shout. I will say, um, I will say Jess Carter always seemed to be eating the worst seeming food in the documentary, but you know she's obviously healthy now, so we can't say Jess Carter. Okay, thank you everyone for all your questions. We will take another ad break here and come back and talk a little bit about West Ham. All right, West Ham at King's Meadow. Um, I keep talking about Counterpress today, but I'm going to carry on because it really made me laugh. I said on Counterpress I was looking forward to seeing Big Tree at King's Meadow and Kate Longhurst, uh, former West Ham player, now of Charlton, thought I was talking about Millie Bright because she'd never noticed Big Tree at King's Meadow when she went to play there, which maybe explains why West Ham have such a rubbish record against us. 14 matches played, Chelsea won 13, we've drawn one, and West Ham have never won. 51 goals to their eight, um, and we've won our last six matches. They've now got Rahan Skinner in charge. No comment. Um, they lost 2-0 to City on the opening day of the season, but they did beat Brighton 2-0, maybe a little bit surprisingly, um, last weekend. So they do have three points on the board. I was tipping West Ham to go down until I saw quite how bad Bristol City are, so I've now changed my mind on that and think Bristol City will go down. But Abdullah, how do you see this one shaping up? Yeah, I think... I think um... I think Chelsea should win it. I mean, listen, the quality difference between the two sides, I think, is is up there. Um, yes, they have Rand Skinner, and, and yes, she did have a good run at Tottenham for a while, but things fell down really fast, really quickly at, at one point. So, like, when they were down, they were down. Um, and like you said, they lost 2-0 to City, but they beat Brighton 2-0, and I thought, I think Brighton are a good side this season. Um so it's 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 I I think I think West Ham are one of those teams where they're going to struggle against the top sides, but I think against teams in and around them, they'll probably have a better chance of faring. So I think they'll they'll land smack bang in the middle. So I, I just feel like with the early season, um, you know, maybe rustiness and Rihanna Skinner really getting to know her side better as as the season wears on. I think this should be. Quite a comfortable win for Chelsea for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give that to Chelsea quite comfortably. Yeah, I mean, definitely I think it will be an interesting one. I don't think we'll feel pressure in this game because I don't think the City result was, you know, taken sort of out of the context, a bad result. I do think Chelsea, the players might have been read the right act in terms of the level of some of the performances we saw. And I think that'll be interesting. I think Chelsea will really want a fast start in this one just to feel comfortable um in the game i don't think they want to make this nervy um what players would you like to see um i would like to see akb at this point um i think i would also like to see perise from the start i think that's another one who seems to be fully fit and there's no reason she couldn't start the game are there any sort of standout names for you you'd like to see play aggie beaver jones maybe 
Yeah, so I agree with you on AKB and 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 Eve Parasitos too. I I definitely want to see as well. Yeah, you know what? Don't not a bad idea to 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 get uh, Aggie Beaver Jones in the side for a bit, especially look if Sam's not feel fully fit, and Mia's got a groin issue. This is why Aggie Beaver Jones is staying in the squad, right? In case a situation like this arises and someone who's played in the WSL for a full season had to have really good impact for Everton. And obviously there's no Macario as well. This is the, this is the best chance that Aggie Beaver Jones is going to have to practically play almost 90 minutes and, and, and really um, step up and, and, and play there. So I, I would bring in Aggie Beaver Jones and I'd love to see Yelena Kankovic get a start maybe as the number 10 um, alongside maybe give Aaron and and maybe even Aaron and Jesse um, kind of in and around and make that a midfield three and go because Del Chelsea will have the ball so I don't think you need a dedicated holding six which I think Aaron can do that job if required and when required so yeah I'd I'd love to see Kankovic unleashed and I thought she's been doing really well from the number from the deeper position number eight so maybe Jesse at ten. Aaron and Yelena holding up in midfield and, and Aggie Beaver-Jones up front with the players that you mentioned as well. So I, I would like to see that. But I wouldn't be surprised if, I think, if Melanie Leupold did, did have a start in this game after a couple of good games. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting because I think normally um, I would expect to see quite a lot of these kind of players come in. I, it'll be interesting to see because we're only on game three because of the need to get three points, whether this will be one where... Potentially, we do see a more settled team wanting to build those relationships. Um, but yeah, I hope we maybe get get a chance to see some of those players um, because I think it'll be interesting to see what other options we've got. And I think, you know, it's nice when it keeps us unpredictable. Where do you think West Ham's key threats will will come from? Rico Ueki obviously got hurt first goal. Um, quite an exciting signing for them. Vivian Asai is a player sort of we know about and we've seen. Um, West Ham have had a bit of a habit at points of like making things a bit nervy, although maybe not last season, but they were managed by Paul Kocheski last season. Um, anything Chelsea should be worried about? I I mean they got a little bit of pace on the on the attack, right? Shimizu's there. Um, Vivian Asai is, is another one that's uh, that's up there, and you know, a couple of the players that they have bought, I think, have been been pretty good so I'd, I'd worried a little bit about the pace um obviously you have lisa evans as well um i mean other than a bit of pace and and obviously dagny bringer starter i i you know if she, if she does play i think is 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 a threat from uh in the air so i think maybe maybe there's a little bit to worry about though I, I don't think west ham really will, will, will cause chelsea too many issues i would just look towards their wingers and just you know be careful about transitions and and if there's any extra space left in behind, what they what they do over there. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think that's probably for me where they're they're strongest. Yeah, and West Ham are playing Charlton tonight in the Conti Cup, so it's quite nice. Chelsea, we've obviously had the whole week off, whereas they'll have to prepare for this game. Um, their lineup isn't out yet, so I don't know how much they're rotating. They don't have a massive squad, so I can't imagine that they can rotate that much. Um, in terms of Conti Cup action, Nicky Everard is going to get a starting goal for Brighton tonight. Um, if you want to go back and watch that in the past, because you won't have heard this when the game is on, you can go wild. We'll see how she does. Uh, interesting one to keep an eye on. Also, Champions League action been yesterday and today. Um, in terms of Chelsea interest, I guess the United scores of interest. Um, 
Melody and Malad equalised for them. So they had a 1-1 draw against PSG. They go back to Paris next week to play the rest of that. Um, The jury's still out. I can't decide who I want to win. I kind of want them both to go out. I don't think that's possible. Uh, Paris FC featuring a little bit of Alsu Abdelina. Drew through through with Wolfsburg in a thriller. Um, so that one will go back to Germany as well to play out. A um, couple of teams who basically look like they're already going to be through. Roma, Benfica, St. Pilton, Eintracht Frankfurt, all getting big wins. Uh, Vika Kaptein currently playing in, against Hecken for FC20. They're drawing 1-1 at the moment. So that's one to that has Chelsea interest in and Charlotte Wardlaw um, hopefully be featuring for Glasgow City a bit later. So lots of Chelsea interest because we've got all these players loaned out in the Champions League qualifiers, even though we're not there. Um, just go through some of the other fixtures for the weekend. Obviously, yes, we're at home to West Ham on the Saturday. Then on Sunday, United have got Leicester, Man City have got Bristol, Arsenal have got Villa, Brighton have got Spurs and Liverpool have got Everton. Any of those that you're looking forward to, Abdullah? Um, other than ours, obviously. Okay. <laughs> uh, obviously, Chelsea Leicester in, in in November will be fun for me to watch. Um, but uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see how we deal with Liverpool in November, just because I feel like they've gotten off to a really good start of the season. They've been growing strength and strength. I think they've got a couple of really good players. Though. I think I think Missy Bocans is 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 I think I think she'll she'll come really really good uh, eventually, and she's showing signs of progress and growth. And obviously the Brighton game, I think, is going to be uh, an interesting one considering their squad and, and the way they, they started the season. And obviously the big one against uh, Villa, like you said. So, yeah, I, I think I think in some ways, except for West Ham, the rest of the games till November 26, I think each one has a very captivating angle and each team actually poses some sort of real threat. So I'd be keen to see how uh, Chelsea navigate through that. All right, lots to look forward to then. We will be back, obviously, after that West Ham game. Um, I enjoy it if you're watching around the world. Enjoy it if you're going to King's Meadow. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>